Lord, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you. May we be holy and acceptable, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, worship band team. Awesome. It's like having a full orchestra up there, isn't it? It's uh, fantastic. I asked you last week to send in some pictures. Some of you did. Here are the pictures that got sent in. Probably can't see them very well. For some of you whose picture is up there, that's probably just as well, and you're relieved. But some of the miracles. Our God is a God of miracles. Do you agree? A few of you agree. Do you agree? Yes. yes. Amen to that. You know, as we think about the Christmas story, the Christmas story is full of miracles, isn't it? The whole thing from beginning to end is a miraculous story. Trouble is, we, we know it so well that it ceases to be miraculous to us. But as you think about the Christmas story, what happens? There's some young girl that's betrothed to be married to some guy and an angel comes and appears to her and says, Hey, guess what? I've got good news, which is not really good news at all, is it? Not at the time. If your daughter told you that she was pregnant and it was God, would you think that's good news? Probably not. But it was good news. Angel appeared. And then Joseph had a dream because he was going to divorce her. And then whole loads of shepherds on the hillside sees this whole heavenly choir singing something like the gospel choir going to sing tonight. And it was awesome. And then they went and Jesus was born. And then these guys from the east sing his star. And they kind of, you couldn't write this stuff, could you? Right? It's just so out there that you wouldn't even think about, I know, I've got a good story. You just think, like, they would probably lock you away somewhere and think that you had some kind of, you know what I'm saying. Because it's so full of the miraculous. And in fact, when we think about the pages of Scripture, the whole of the Scripture is full of miracle after miracle. Sometimes it's God miraculously intervening. In situations, think of Jonah getting spewed up by a whale. Think of Balaam and his donkey. Or think of, of Moses standing there on the hillside with Joshua and whoever it was, the other side, lifting their arms up and, you know, and then winning the battle or, or them praying and the sun would stand still until because they were winning and, and they didn't want to lose the battle because the sun goes down. And, and all these miraculous things that God does. Throughout the pages of Scripture, the people of Israel walking through the sea and across the Jordan and, and taking over the promised land and all these amazing things that happen. And then you've got the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, my heroes. Anybody that calls somebody a baldy and then a load of bears comes out and just tears these youngsters to pieces for being just rude, he's got my vote as a hero. Amazing stories throughout the pages of Scripture, through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. God is a God of miracles. And so it's not surprising that Jesus said to us, 
these words. He said, believe in me, John 14, when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works or the miracles themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the miracles, the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. God is a God of miracles. Jesus spent his ministry doing miracles, and he said to his disciples, his followers coming after him, you know what? You're going to carry on doing what I've been doing. That's, that's what's going to happen. In fact, you're going to do even greater things. You can't do greater than the cross. But greater things than the miracles, the works that he's been doing. Why? Because there's many more of us to do them. Greater in number. Greater in, in the, the way that we can do that around the world. Jesus said you're going to carry on and do it. And in our passage that we've been looking at in Acts, they said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is the new believers on Pentecost. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today we're going to think about the signs and the wonders. The new church, when it was born, was accompanied by signs and wonders. And the Bible, as we've just been saying, says this, you know what? It should be normal. The whole of the scriptures that I read, you read of signs and wonders accompanying everything that goes on. It's just normal. It's not unusual. It's just the day-to-day -day things that happen when God is involved. It's normal. It's normal, so normal, in fact, that in the Old Testament... In Exodus 15, 26, God calls himself Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals. It's one of the names that he's given to himself. I am, you know, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. I am the Lord Almighty, you know, I, but I'm also the one who heals. He said, it's one of my names. It's part of my character to do that. It's who I am. And so we should... Just expect these things to happen. In James 1, the word says this. Let me read it to you. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the world but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after he looks at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The word says we, we should just expect these things. The word says, as we've just read, Jesus said to us, you're going to do these things. 
You're going to carry on doing them. And over and over again, the Word says the same thing. And so it should be normal for us to expect God to move in these ways. But also, we shouldn't make a song and dance about it. You see, it seems to me in the church, we have two different camps. We have the camp of those who say, you know what, God was, it's fair, fair enough for God working in those days. But we're under a different system now. God, God doesn't work like he used to work back then. You know, we, we work through other human ways now. And we shouldn't be expecting the unexpected. We shouldn't be expecting God to work in the, in the ways that we read about in the scriptures. And then you've got the other camp over here that are looking for it all the time. And it's some kind of amazing elevated thing when God actually does something like that. And so they make a big deal about it the whole time. And they search it out and they seek for it at the, almost at the expense of everything else. Oh, did you hear about that miracle that God did the other day? Oh, that, that person is so anointed by God. And they, they follow around these people that they call anointed, whatever that means. right? And they, they then say, oh, let's flock after this person because you should have seen what happened. And they go around looking for all these things over and over and over again. And they keep making this song and dance about what God does as normal. Do you see that in the pages of Scripture? Massive song and dance about it. Do you see Jesus? You know, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And what does he do? Well, he just kind of wanders off. Time for tea. Well, he's not English, but you know what I'm saying. He just carries on as though it's nothing, right? I mean, he praises God saying thank you. But there's not this massive kind of, whoa, what's this? Whoa, elevation kind of thing that goes on. Why? Because it's normal. When you go home today and you have your Sunday lunch, are you going to phone around everybody and say, you won't believe, oh, lunch, wow. Let me, let me just let you know, I had lunch today. I know some people on Facebook do that, right? They're really irritating. I got up. Well, great, so have I, right? Don't need the world to know. But most of us don't. Why not? Because it's normal, right? Did you get up this morning and have breakfast? Who had breakfast? Who phoned up a friend just to let them know you had breakfast this morning? No. You just go down there and you go, what have I got for breakfast? Toast again. Okay, I'll have my toast and my cup of tea. It's normal. And I see with Jesus and I see with the... You remember that story of Peter and that going into the temple and there's that guy there in the beginning of Acts? And he's saying like give me some money and they said we ain't got any money but you know in the name of Jesus get up and walk and then what does Peter and that they just carry on going we're going to the temple it's just on our way to church there's nothing and so we must be careful how we balance these things don't not expect it but don't make a big deal about it when God works because it's what God does and both extremes are dangerous you see, because the scripture constantly says that word and action go hand in hand. Jesus said it all the time. Luke 9, 2, when he sent out the disciples, he said, go out, preach the word, heal the sick. Do both. In Luke 10, when he sent them out again, what did he say? He said, heal them and then tell them that the kingdom of God is near. 
Do both. Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I've given you the authority. I'm going to give it to you. Why? To go and make disciples. Power and word go together. In Acts 1.8, Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Spirit of power will come so that you will be my witnesses. Do you remember in Luke 7 when John the Baptist's disciples, when John the Baptist was in prison and his disciples came and, and John was going, is this really the Messiah? What did Jesus say to them? Do you remember? Look what's happening. He said, look at what's going on. The sick are being healed. The blind are seeing again. The lame are walking again. He didn't say, well, have you heard one of my best sermons? He said, look what's happening. You see, Jesus said, it's by my actions. My words and my actions are tied together. See what I'm doing and then listen to what I'm saying. And it should be the true for you and for me. It goes together. But the big question is this, isn't it? Well, how? How then do we do that? If that's true, how, how do we get to that point? How do we see signs and wonders being portrayed in our lives in what we do week by week, month by month? Let's look at it together. Firstly, Matthew 19, Jesus says, all things with God are possible, right? First, with that thought in mind, believe in the power of God. Believe in God's power. What can God do? Anything, right? In the beginning, there was Zippo, and he spoke a word, and something happened. And who knows how it happened? Bible doesn't give that. It gives us the why it happened. But God can do anything, right? God, we see that over and over. Every book of the Bible you read, you see how God works in so many different ways. The miraculous is so unlimited, right? In Esther, you see it working in God's timing and in the way that God orchestrated all the events together to make it happen, right? In other books of the Bible, you, like, uh, you, you see Elijah up on Mount Carmel and he calls down fire from on heaven, right? And you see those kind of things. Now, which is, which is better or worse? It's, it's just different, right? It's just different the way that God does it. But God can do anything. Believe in his power. James 5 in fact, let's read Ephesians 1 first, one of my favorite passages. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. I love this, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and in the incomparably great power for us who believe. He's saying, I pray that you may understand that incomparable power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. He's saying that power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the pit of hell and lifted him up to heaven is the same power that is available for us. Now, what can you do with that power? Anything, right? I don't think there's a greater power than all the power of evil that wanted to keep Jesus locked in hell, as it says he went down, descended down into the dead. The power that Satan would have, would have put upon him to keep him there, because if Satan could keep Jesus in the grave, then we wouldn't be here. There would be no salvation, no forgiveness, no reconciliation with God. There would be nothing, right? It would be over. So every ounce of strength would have been there. And God just went, you know what? I'm going to lift my son up. Done. That power is available to you and me. And so in James chapter 5, hands up if you're an elder. James chapter 5. Anyone in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy, let him sing songs of praise. If any one of you is sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. And then it carries on. That's the role of an elder, right? Hands up if you still want to be an elder. That's the role of being an elder, is, is knowing the power of God and then using that power, allowing that power to flow through you to go and bring healing and wholeness to other people, forgiveness to other people. That's what the role of an elder is. If you're an elder and you believe that, come and talk to me. There's work to be done. First, we need to believe in the power of God. You only believe something when you put it into practice, right? Isn't that true? You only really believe something, truly believe it, when you start doing it. Don't tell me you believe something and never try it. I believe I can fly off of tall buildings. But I'm not going to try. Why? Because you don't believe it and neither do I. But I could believe I can ride a bicycle. Why? I believe I can ski down a slope. Why? I believe I can ice skate. Why? I believe I can eat the biggest bar of chocolate you've ever seen in half an hour. Why? Because I've accomplished all those tasks. 
got to put it into practice. We're going to look at this passage. If you were to ask me my favorite passage in the whole of the scriptures, it would be this. Because this has so much in it. I've been looking at this passage for years in John 15 and still trying to understand it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, just we'll stop there for a second. Look at verse 2. It says, in me. He cuts off every branch in me. Who is the in me? Those that believe, right? If you believe, you're in Christ. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to us, the believers, right? So this is the words of Christ for you and me. So he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. There's so much in there, but we're just going to take a few things from it. Secondly, firstly, believe in the power of God, but secondly, from John 15, 9. It says all the way through, but as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. The first thing we need to do after belief in the power of God is to be intimate with God. Acts 2 says it in a different way. It just says, be devoted, right? Be devoted. Devoted to those four things. The word of God, fellowship, right? To, to prayer and to worship. Be devoted. Here in Jesus says, Love, love in the way that I love, right? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And all the way through this passage, it's talking, commands, love one another. Love, 
But be intimate with God as, as Jesus had that intimacy with the Father. So we need that same kind of level of intimacy. That's what it means. Somebody asked me the other day, what, what, what are we really getting at about being a disciple? And I heard a wonderful kind of illustration of it just this last week. Remember in Exodus 19 where they're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai and God says, I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai and I'm going to rescue and Moses, you need to come up. And this, this fire and this thing, and this is when they get the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, right? So there they are, all camped out around Mount Sinai, the whole of the people of Israel. And God warns them, and he says to them, no one can touch the foot of the mountain. If you touch the foot of the mountain, you're going to die. So they're all keeping their distance from the foot of this mountain. Only Moses is allowed to go up. Do you remember? Right, picture that scene in your head, right? So Moses goes up and he climbs up to the top and he's given the Ten Commandments. And then he comes down. Jeremiah 31, 31 says what? New covenant. What's the new covenant all about? God is in your heart, right? What's it really saying? It's saying now, it goes on to say, you know what? You're, you're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Effectively, what it says is now you're all Moses. You have access to the mountain. You don't have to wait for the priest to go walking up to the top of the mountain, disappear into the cloud, and then come back down again and tell you what to do. Why? Because the Lord's inside of each one of you. He will speak to you directly. You don't need a priest as a go-between, do you? You don't have to come and confess your sins to me, do you? Please don't. I'm too busy, right? And I know you too well, so there'll be a lot of them, right? But we don't have to do that. Sometimes it's helpful, by the way, but you don't have to do that. Why? Because I don't give you the absolution. Jesus does, right? So you go straight to him. Cut out the middleman. So what is it to be a disciple? To be a disciple is to walk up the mountain. It's to go into the very presence of God. But also, what does he say? He says, you know what? Encourage others to go there too. Don't just go on your own. Don't just go up there and have a good time with Jesus on your own and then come back down again. He says, you know what? Being a disciple is about taking other people and saying, hey, you want to meet God? Let me show you how it's done. Come with me. It's where I'm going. I'm going up this mountain. Come. And you think about all the people that you have in the sphere of your life. Being a disciple is about encouraging every single one of them believer or non-believer, to say, come with me, let's get closer to God up that mountain. Let's go into his presence and be with him. That's what it means. That's where we're going. Be intimate with God. Be devoted to God. Why? Because you need to be able to hear his voice. 
and the closer and understand what he's saying and the closer you get to God the more you can hear his voice the easier it becomes when I was first married I can say this because my wife's not here today man you get arguments right why you don't understand me you don't understand what I'm saying why can't you listen to me well because I'm a guy you know did you Hands up, if that's you, right? Why? Because when you're first in a relationship together, communication is tough, right? Because you, you, know, you don't really communicate when you're going out with one another, do you? You're just sitting there going, oh, oh, oh sweet, isn't it? Oh, useless, right? Then you get married, all of a sudden you've got real issues to talk about. Who's going to take the bin out on a Tuesday morning? Right? Who's going to do the washing up? Why do you keep leaving your socks lying around and your underwear's there? And why can't you put it in the laundry basket like every other human being? And all these things go on, right? You start communicating. Where do you want to go on a holiday? I don't know. What do you like? I don't know. What do you like? How come we never talked about this before we were married? How many kids do you want? I don't know. I'm a guy. I don't know. All these things that you, you didn't think about beforehand suddenly become, and, you, and it's hard. It's hard to communicate. Why? Because you have to learn to really understand one another. And the longer you journey together, the, the more you make that a priority in your life, the more you get to understand one another. You know, I've been married 33 years now. I'm still learning. Right? But I understand her way more than I did when I was first married. And so we have way less arguments now than when we were first married. Why? Well, because I understand when she says something, I know what she really means. When I say something, she knows what I really mean. Because we just understand one another far better. Because we've made it a priority to journey together and seek to understand one another. And it's the same in our relationship with God. The more you make that a priority to understand God, to get closer to God, to climb that mountain with God and to be in his presence, the more you understand his voice, the more you recognize what he's saying, the more you understand how it, how it impacts you and how you can hear it so clearly. Be intimate with God. Keep going up that mountain. Third thing we see is be obedient. Throughout this passage, it says, if, 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 right? But it says, be obedient. If, verse 10, you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you don't be obedient to Christ, you are not going to remain in his love. Simple as that. And what does it mean to be obedient to Christ? It means doing what he told you to do. It's simple. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. He's not telling you to do something he hasn't already done. He said, I'm going to do everything the Father tells me, and I expect you to do everything I tell you. It's the same thing. Verse 14 you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because you don't know my business. I've called you friends. Obedience is key. Now, obedience to me means that we just 
Do what he says. It's not that difficult, is it? We don't rationalize it away. We don't try and downgrade it to something that it isn't. We just take what he has said and say, okay, Lord, it might be hard. In fact, sometimes it's jolly hard. But I just put it into practice as best I can in my life. Do what it says. So when he says to the elders in James, go round and anoint and heal the sick, do what he says. That wasn't part of your elders' training, was it? But that's what the word says. Why, why do we not just take it seriously? Why do we suddenly downgrade it to something we're comfortable with instead of living up to what the word says? I don't understand it. Because if you want signs and wonders to be part of your normal daily, weekly existence, we have to start taking this seriously. We have to put it into practice in our lives. Read it. Try and understand it. Do what it says. Be obedient to what Christ is saying. Fourthly, this passage is loaded with about compassion and love. He says, verse 12, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. How did Christ love us? Well, he died for us. And he says, doesn't he, verse 17, This is my command, love each other. Greater love, verse 13, is no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. When we do anything with the power of God flowing through us, we have to love people. We have to let that compassion flow. You can't misuse the power of God. If you don't have love flowing out of you, you won't have the power of God flowing through you. Simple as that. Jesus was a channel of the Father's power because Jesus was a channel of the Father's love. 1 John 4, you know, God is love. And love is the vehicle by which the power and the Spirit of God flows into people's lives. If you don't love, you won't see the signs and wonders. Simple as that. So we need to learn how to love one another. Who loves everybody? Who loves some people? Who knows of people that it's really hard to love? You're in church, so you've got to be honest here. Right? Some pe- You love animals. Yeah, that, they're a lot better to love. They don't answer back so often. Well, unless it's a dog. Then you can't get them to be quiet sometimes. But, right? We, we need to allow the love of God to flow through us. Love. How did Jesus know what to do? Well, he asked his father. Do you remember Jesus when he was that kid in the temple and his parents lost him? He was. And they went back. And what did Jesus say? Well, why are you looking for me? He's with my father, doing my father's business. That's what Jesus did all the way through his ministry. Ask what God wants you to do. John 15 Verse 15 and 16, he says this. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I've made known to you. We know God's business. You ask God what his business is. And then lastly, believe. Believe in what God can do through you. He says, you know what? I want you to bear much fruit for my Father's glory. He keeps saying it over and over again. He keeps on saying it. How does this work? Let me give you a really simple example. I was away at a uh, minister's retreat in Cambridge two weeks ago. Don't know why I signed up. I have never signed up for one of these in 20 years. And, and I, I'd forgotten I'd even signed up, but I did sign up and I went to this retreat. It was a Tuesday to a Thursday, Tuesday lunchtime to Thursday lunchtime. On the Wednesday, I'd arranged, when I found out that I had actually booked to go, I arranged on the Wednesday night to go and visit some friends I hadn't seen in years who lived just outside Cambridge. So I was hoping that the session would finish in time because I'd arranged to go and have dinner with them instead of dinner in the college where we were. Session finished, and I put my coat on, and I was about to go. And this uh, another colleague came up to me, that's a minister, started talking to me. Didn't know who she was. Never met her before that time there. And I was sort of half looking at my watch, thinking, you know, the traffic in Cambridge is worse than Harrow. I've got to get all the way over to the other side of Cambridge to get to this place, and I'm going to be late, and um, what's going on? But then... You know, the Lord said, hey, David, listen, just listen. So she started talking, and all of a sudden, I felt God say to me, you need to pray for her. So I said, okay, God, I'll pray. So I said to this lady, I said, would you like me to pray for you? So she said, yeah, I love it. Thank you. So I put my arm around her, and I said, let's pray together. And I said, okay, God, what do you want me to pray for? You told me to pray for her. I have no idea why you want me to pray for her. So I said, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? I can't tell you what I prayed for. Except I prayed and pictures started coming into my head, so I started saying them. So I prayed for this lady, this minister. And after the prayer, I said, amen. And she said, how did you know? I said, how did I know what? How did you know what was going on? I said, I don't know what you mean, what was going on? I said, I just asked God, and he gave me words to say, and I can't even tell you what I said, but she said, one of the churches where I serve in, I'm going for a really hard time. In fact, they want me out. And I said, Lord, which are the two churches? She told me the two churches where she serves, and I said, which of the two is the problem church? And the Lord gave me the name like that, and I said, it's this church, isn't it? And she said, how do you know? I said, because I asked him, how else would I know? And then the Lord says, you need to go and you need to go with her and pray with her in the church. Now, it's simple, right? All I did was I stood there and I, I, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Sometimes you do that and God doesn't answer you. He doesn't give you anything. In which case you just go, praise the Lord, I can go for my dinner. Sort it. Sometimes he gives you words to say. Sometimes he just says, David, pray with this person. And so you pray. 
because of your intimacy with God, because you spend time in his word, because you can hear his voice, he speaks to you. And then you're obedient to what he says. He says, pray. And he never says, this is what I want you to pray for. He just says, pray. So you just say, okay, I'm going to pray, Lord. Now you better give me the words to say because I don't know the next bit of the journey. Just, but I'm going to do what you ask me to do. Lord, what do you want me to pray for? He gives you the words to say. You don't even know what you're praying for, but he gives you the words. He gives you the pictures to say. And then he takes you to the next stage of the journey and the next stage of the journey and the next stage of the journey. The same thing happens when you're praying for healing or for anything else. Somebody comes to you and they're sick and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to pray? Do you want me to lay hands? What do you want me to do? You listen to the voice of God and you do what he tells you to do. Even when it's ridiculous, even when it doesn't make sense to you, just do what he's telling you to do. You see, God, for some reason, loves to use his people as the channels of his blessing. The people of Israel are standing by the Dead Sea and the Egyptians are coming towards him. Could God have just said, there you go, the waters are open, start walking? Of course he could. But what did he do? He said, Moses, remember that stick I gave you? Put it out over the face of the water and command it to, you know, separate. And so Moses did what he was told. Water separated. God could have done it without Moses, but he chooses to use you and me in fulfilling his purposes. That's why I said you need to expect it. You need to go around daily saying, Lord, I'm listening. I want to listen to you. Lord, I'm in a situation, just use me, right? When I wake up in the morning, Lord, whatever you want to do with me today, use me. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he will keep on doing that over and over and over again. He will keep flowing through you over and over and over again if you're available to him. That's what he wants to do. That's what it means to be a disciple. You leave the results to him. That's not your business. Your business is to be obedient. Full stop. Believe in him, what he can do. Be intimate with God. Be obedient. Love. Seek his business. And believe him for the outcome. It's simple. Isn't it? That's why you don't make a big song and dance about it. That is what the church of Jesus Christ should be. You know that? And it shouldn't just be some minister standing up the front doing it. It is for every single person who believes. We are all part of the kingdom of God. We are all priests together, right? If you're a believer. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that should be flowing through you.
So let me ask you today, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? It's not rocket science. Because believers from the beginning of time, throughout the history of the church, have just been doing it over and over again. It's nothing special in the sense that it elevates anybody above anybody else. It's normal. It's what it is to be a believer in Christ. You see, all through the Gospels, it says your action and your words need to go side by side. Jesus said, believe in what you see me doing. Just do what he's telling you to do. Ask him. And let him do it through you. Let's pray. Father, signs and wonders should be part of every believer's life. Make it so. Break our stubbornness and our unwillingness. Lord, forgive us. Because there are many people around us that could have been touched and blessed by you. If we'd only taken the time to be that channel. Give us that level of intimacy that we can hear your voice and the courage to step out. And whether it's a big thing or a small thing in the human eyes, it's all the same to you. Jesus, you went about your father's business. Whether that was walking on water or changing water into wine or raising Lazarus from the dead, healing the sick, or speaking your message of hope and salvation. Jesus, help us to live up to what you expect of us. For we will break bread and drink wine. And we will acknowledge the new covenant. Help us to live it. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.